Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Olive Podcast. I'm Janine, Olive's Deputy Editor and Podcast Host, and each episode I'll be catching up with chefs, cookery writers and characters from the food scene in Britain and beyond. Join us each week to expand your food knowledge as our guests share 10 things we need to know about the specialist subject. And do listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where they also reveal their top cooking cheats, hacks and shortcuts. I'm delighted to welcome Luis Gonzalez Castro to the podcast today. Luis was born in Puerto Rico, but his family relocated to near Little Havana in South Miami when he was seven. There, his father ran a small bakery, kickstarting his lifelong passion for food. Luis affectionately called his beloved grandmother Cuca, and she's an inspiration behind the Cuban American supper clubs of the same name that he regularly holds across London. Welcome to the podcast, Luis. Hi, hello. Thank you very much for having me here today. Now, we're here today to talk about 10 things you need to know about Cuban food and cooking, um, something that's quite new to me. But first of all, I thought just to put it in context, can you just tell us briefly about your kind of food journey and how you ended up in London doing your Cuban supper clubs? Yeah, sure. Um, it was, it's, it's been a long journey for me to actually start um, making Cuban food. Um, but yeah, I really just started from watching my grandmother, my mom, um, cooking. I mean, we lived in Miami. My parents obviously um, came from Cuba um, during the revolution. They left Cuba and um, my grandmother obviously brought her recipes with her. And so from then on, that's all we ate, uh, yeah. Cuban food. So watching that, smelling those smells, um, these are things that live with you as you get older. And when I came to the to the UK, um, kind of really go, running away from all that, all that Cuban-ness, you know, constant Cuban food and Cuban music <laughs> and everything Cuban, um, you know, finding myself as well, I, I started missing like a part of me. Yeah. And my mom sent, sent me a couple of those recipes and said to me, why don't you start making this? And I was like, I can actually make this food. And she's like, yes, of course. You know, in my head, it was like my grandmother was a magician and she made this amazing food. And it's not something that I could do. Yeah. And so through that, and my mom sort of encouraging me and me figuring out that actually, yeah, this is quite fun. I started doing it at home and my partner loved it. My friends loved it. And a friend of mine um, said to me, why don't you do this as a supper club? It could be quite fun. Yeah. Um, it's different. I was like, really? People are going to want to eat my grandmother's food. Like I just didn't enter my head. Yeah. And so we did a couple just to see what it's like for friends. And we had such a good time. People were having food that they've never tried before. And I think they were so interested in the story that a little light in me kind of came on in that this is about my grandparents' story, leaving yeah. Cuba and taking that food with them and those recipes that it really ignited that passion for Cuban food. And that's when I started exploring it a lot more. Amazing. Um, well, let's let's talk about some of those points that you sent over to me. Like the first one you were going to talk about was the um, all of the influences that are brought yeah. into Cuban food. Let's talk a bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Cuban culture and Cuban food, but in general, Cuban culture is 
it's really tragic. It's like, it's such a huge, long journey. Um, they've never had a steady time when they've been able to enjoy their their own Cuban-ness. They, they've been made up of so many different things. If you think about it, Cuba is an island in, right in the middle between the, Ameri the South America, um, um, North America, the islands. And so a lot of people were coming through it and wanting to, to own it. Mm -hmm. And so the Taino Indians were the original um, inhabitants of the island. And so when the, uh, the Spanish conquistadors came, took over the island, you know, Spanish influences started coming through, European influences started coming yeah. through. It is said that Christopher Columbus brought pigs and that's how it all, the, you know, the whole lechon, which is pig, roasted pig, kind of came into it. Um, and so, you know, and then you move on to, you know, the, the revolution in the 60s and then uh, uh, the Soviet Union comes in and it's said that yogurt suddenly came into to their palates. So they've constantly been adapting to food. Mm. They've constantly been changing. However, what they've always known is that these, these traditional dishes, they've been able to continue them and they've adapted them, they've changed them. And so Cuban food is really this evolution of lots of different cultures, mm. um, predominantly Spanish and South American. Um, but they they come from everything, you know, French uh, from Haiti as you know as yeah. well, African from uh, from slavery, um, and and Chinese as well. So um, yeah, it's made up of, of lots of different things. Yeah. But you also say um, some things haven't changed at all mm. because of the communist re yeah. regime. Tell us about that. Mm. Yeah, so that that's really interesting. In the sixties, um, when Castro took over, um, there were ration books, and so with rationing came, you know you can only have certain foods that were available. Mm. And so I remember my grandmother telling us, she she was still there when the ration books came out. Suddenly you couldn't just make a cake if you wanted to make a cake. You couldn't just do, you know, one of the dishes that we make is ropa vieja. Mm. Um, you couldn't just make it. You had to go. And if they had the meat and they had the vegetables that make the ropa vieja, then you can make it. But if they didn't have them, then you couldn't make it. And so suddenly you start to having to adapt. Suddenly it became this regimented way of eating, mm. um, depending on what available um so that happened and you know you you get to a point where in the 90s when the soviet union falls and there's no fuel coming into the island suddenly there's no fuel to plow the the fields and so again the island has to change and the people have to start adapting and what can we make what can we do and so seafood started kind of becoming a bigger thing at that time and you know there, there's lots of stories of different things that people have had to make um just to make do and be able yeah. to survive really so it's just adapting to whatever's available absolutely. at the time. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I guess, you know, it, what's really interesting is that obviously we're talking about the the, what, the Cuban culture mm. specifically. Um, Cuban, Cuba also goes into Miami, so where, where I grew up. And what happened with the immigrants uh, from Cuba in the 60s that went into Miami, they kept those recipes, those traditional recipes. And yes, those those were available for them to make every day. And so we were able to keep those up. So if you go to Cuba itself, you may find certain things that are not available and you, you might be able to find some, some of those uh, traditional dishes, but sometimes you might not. Um, you go to Miami and you'll be able to find them all. Um, and so it's kind of this like mix of, you know, this uniqueness of being in Cuba and being able to eat something that's authentic, but if it's available. So it's kind yeah. of, it's kind of nice in a way, but at the same time, there's this sort of heartfelt thing about, 
you know, you're just trying to make something if you can, right? Yeah. Uh, whereas in Miami, you can basically just make it at, at any point. So I, I grew up being able to eat that food constantly. Yeah. But never forgetting, and my grandmother never let us forget, that your aunties or your cousins in, in Cuba are not able to make this okay. as we're making it here. Yeah. So there was always that you're having it, but please remember that this is not something that comes easy to a lot of people. And I think that's that's a big part of, of Cuban food for me is that, yes, it's simple ingredients, um, but th there's there's a heart behind it all. Yeah. Would the Cuban restaurants in Little Havana in Miami, for mm -hmm. example, would they would they have similar menus with the mm. same Cuban food on? Is that what you're saying, basically? <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. So in Miami, you'll get, it's it's really funny because there'll, there'll be lots of, I mean, there's Cuban restaurants everywhere, but you'll get ones that are better than the others simply because they might serve them different style or mm. different, it's, you know, you will you can order ropa vieja in any, any, any Cuban restaurant in Miami. Right. So yes, the menus are pretty much the same. Nowadays, I would say in the last five, 10 years, things have started evolving where they're, you know, you, you know, mixing different foods together. It's become yeah. a bit more street food. Yeah. So they're having a little bit more fun with it. Okay. Um, and you know, it's interesting because when I was doing Kuka and I was doing my grandmother's recipes, I remember making them and thinking, I cannot sway from this recipe because yeah. if I do, I'm not honoring my grandmother. But what's been great is that, you know, speaking to my mom and my dad, they're like, no, 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 it's okay. This is interesting. Why don't you try that? Why don't you try this? So, and I think that's what Miami's doing now. They are expanding. They're saying, let's take yeah. our, our culture, let's take our food, but let's have some fun with it. Yeah. Why not? Why do we have to stick to this regimented way of doing it, yeah. which we have for many years? And now I think people are having some fun with it. And I think that's what makes it exciting now and what's going to move it to the next stage. Really, That's great. Um, and talking about the food, you said um, Cubans eat with their eyes. Tell us about the portion sizes. <laughs> yeah. So this is one of the things with with our supper club. So with the supper club, when we started it, yeah. I was like, yeah, that's going to work. Because if we can need to serve 10 people or 20 people, yeah. that's perfect for Cuban food. Because we make everything we do for some reason, it's in large quantities. Yeah. And no matter how much I try and reduce the the amount of ingredients to try and make it for a smaller audience, it still comes out with a lot. So with the supper club, uh, we what we wanted to do is uh, serve it like my grandmother served it. So yeah. in big bowls, so everybody can serve each other okay. like my grandmother did at home. Um, she would put the plates down, the bowls down, and everybody would just pick, mm. pick at it. Um, as I started learning, and I want to evolve the Cuban food here in the UK, I, my first few supper clubs, people would leave, they would leave plates. Like at the end, people were like, oh, I can't have dessert. And I was like, how can you not have the best part of this supper club, which is dessert? But it's because I was serving, I mean, huge amounts of food. Right. Like, I mean, it was like five, six courses. And each course is like big portions because in my head, that's what we ate, right? <laughs> and so I started playing around with portion size. And I, my friends were like, yeah, you need to cut that down. I'm like, but you can't because if you cut that down, then it's not Cuban food. And so portion size is a big problem, not problem. Problem. It's just how we're used to it. Yeah. You, you go to a Miami restaurant, they'll serve everything for you. The rice, the chicken, the beef, whatever you're going to have all in one plate together. And what I'm trying to do here is really let people enjoy each flavor because they all deserve its its own thing. Mm -hmm. And the way I look at it is that in Miami, we all, we're all used to these flavors. We're all used to these dishes. And so we were happy to kind of mix it all up. Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to do here is say, try this one. What do you think? And try that one. And slowly it's become a lot better now. So when, when you come to the supper clubs, you're, you're trying these separate dishes yeah. and I talk to you about them. So, you know, a rice dish, you try the rice on its own. And you know, the, the different types of rice that I make, um, they, they have their unique flavors. They have their unique ways of making them. 
Um, there's one that we make called Moros y Cristianos, which is Moors and Christians. Right. Um, and it's, it, it's, it's got such a history. It was brought by Christopher Columbus into the island and it was about, you know, the, 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 Moor, the Moors and the Christians. And it was white rice with black beans, but it's the way that it's made. And it's not, you just don't mix the black beans with the white rice. Right. You make them with cumin and you add the bay leaf and you're adding these things layered in. And then you mix them together and the, the juices of the black beans go into the white rice and they make sort of this like gray color. So it's almost like a celebration of the two of the two coming together. Coming and together, yeah. yeah. And so I found those little stories like f Cuban food has these little stories behind it mm. that if you don't understand them, you're just eating rice and beans. Yeah. Um, but in reality, what you're eating is a, is a, is a little story there. Yeah. It's, it's and history, history as yeah, well. Yeah. It's history. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned that people were so full they couldn't eat dessert there. And I know that sugar, you said, is incredibly important to obviously sugar is, um, you know, grown in in Cuba. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Sugar cane so, is the biggest import. So, so sugar is really important yeah. um, and it's an important ingredient. Um, and you said Cubans have very sweet, a very sweet tooth. <laughs> yeah, very sweet tooth. Tell us about that then. Yeah, so I grew up every Sunday, we'd go to a bakery and mm. my, grand, my dad would buy um, everything was sweet. I mean... You had tres leches. Um, we had um, every cake possible. Um, pastries with guava inside. Mm -hmm. Pastries with cheese. Pastries with meat. And so for me, I grew up eating sugar constantly. Cuban coffee has sugar in it. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I always say that um, I, 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 the reason I love sugar is mm. because I grew up eating sugar <laughs> constantly. But, but you know, I think what's beautiful and what I have been looking into is, yes, you know, sugar kings, it's Cuba's biggest import. Mm. It's what makes rum, hence why rum's such a big deal as well. Um, but, you know, sugar cane juice is, is my mom loves sugar mm. cane juice. And I've been trying to figure out, I found a place in London that actually does it. And I find that really interesting because in Miami and Puerto Rico, which where I was born, Sugarcane juice is a big deal. Like you squeeze the, the cane and you get this amazing, delicious juice. And so we made everything that we can with sugarcane. And so, yeah, sugar is a big deal. Um, So a lot of my of the stuff that we do for Kuka is, is the desserts are quite a big deal for me. Yeah. And I'm trying new things because I don't just want to serve sugar, but it, it's what makes it. And I yeah. think what I'm trying to do is reduce it so people can try lots of different things, different. but not in those in those amounts. But yeah, yeah. That, that's what we grew up eating. I mean, it was it wasn't uncommon to have a Cuban coffee with six sugars in it, and it sounds ridiculous. But six sugars in a Cuban coffee and a cafe con leche, which is like a latte, really, yeah. it's not uncommon. It, it was very normal. <laughs> and when I came here and I was having two, people looked at me weird because two is a lot. But I was like, yeah, this is not that much. And so, <laughs> Come to Cuba. Yeah, yeah. but I, I adapted and now I think it's crazy. So you go to Miami and they, they have sugar just like plentiful. Um, but that's how we, we just grew up. Uh, sweet, sweetness is just such a great thing for us. There's, so, a, yeah. there's a thing, isn't there? Um, Cuban coffee, uh, cafecito, yeah, which yeah. is made in a very particular way. Can you tell us about that? Because it's quite yeah. fascinating. Yeah, yeah. cafecito is, uh, is what starts your morning and ends your night. So uh, the other thing that I always find hard to understand, I think Italians get it, Yeah. Um, but <laughs> it's it, drinking coffee here after like five o'clock like, or, or even two o'clock. Yeah. yeah, it's like crazy. Whereas for me, I rem I'll never the biggest thing for me about cafecito which is like it's like an espresso mm. is is my parents having a dinner party or having friends over a barbecue whatever it was and like 9 10 p.m came around 
and it was cafecito time. Mm. Who wants a cafecito? I mean, this was like crazy. So everybody's like having a cafecito. You'd have someone, and I'll tell you a little bit about the process of making yeah. it. And then you'd have it, and it was almost like a re a re- reboot. reboot of yeah. the party. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly everybody was like alive again. Yeah. And it really does that. These little cups yeah. were just so full of energy. And I think a little part of it was because we all enjoyed the company. Yeah. And my parents always had friends over. I, I'll never, you know, part of my youth was having all their friends, their friends were my friends. Yeah. And I remember just, you know, them coming in and, and yeah, flowing cafecito all the time. Yeah. And so the way you make it is like the, you use a, like a cafetier, mm. um, what you would know as an Italian cafetier. Like a mocha uh, pot type thing. Yeah, yeah. like the silver, silver yeah, ones. Yeah. yeah. And um, uh, I, I use in, in cafe, in Cocina Cook, I use the Bustelo, which is the brand that my grandmother used. And this is a Miami established uh, brand. Yeah. And it's a proper Cuban coffee. You you put it in the in the cafeteria and the first spurt that comes out, it's mm. the darkest. That's what you use to pour it into sort of like a Pyrex um, mug. Yeah. And you, you add one sh- tablespoon of sugar per person, essentially. Wow. Yeah. wow. Okay. Yeah. So depending <laughs> on how many people you add that yeah. spoonful of sugar and then those first spurts that come out, the darkest, yeah. you pour them in there. Mm-hmm. And then while the coffee is continuously being made, okay. you're whipping that sugar with that dark mm-hmm. uh, uh, coffee. And so you're whipping and whipping until it goes almost like a caramel, like very pale caramel color. Wow. And it, it becomes this like foam, what we call espumita. And a cafecito or a coffee without espumita is not a Cuban cafecito. So if you ever go to Miami and they they, they perfect it in Miami, yeah. um, it has that little coating at the top of this yeah. little espumita. And it is it really makes it. If you have it without it, it's it just tastes like plain. Yeah. And so you whip it, whip it, whip it, whip it. Um, and you almost like at home, you almost graduate to become the 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 espumita maker at home and so i remember coming of age to be like okay you can do it yourself and so my mom was getting older and so i started making the espumita and you know what my, my niece now does it everybody yeah. when i went over um in december it was like oh carolina can make the espumita she's like she's the good the the one that does it well yeah and so it's kind of this traditional thing as well and it's it's a simple espresso but then you you then pour the rest of the coffee into this uh mm. the pyrex bowl with the sugar with the whipped sugar yeah and it creates this foam at the top and then as you pour it into each little cup you just have um, a little it's just beautiful little white wow. yeah and so you drink and it's a very sweet coffee mm. um usually have it yeah towards the end of a dinner mm. and, and you're just sipping it and you're chatting away and yeah and you suddenly after a couple of minutes you get this boost of energy um but yeah i love it doesn't affect me uh i could drink as many as you as you like it doesn't if it you're, lets you're, me you're I still immune go to sleep. You're, god you're completely mean to it it's crazy yeah. another thing that's very typical um and i was going to ask you about this because you said everything starts with sofrito and i yes. my sofrito in my head is the Italian sofrito, which mm. um, I think is celery, carrot and mm. onion, um, which starts a lot of Italian dishes. Mm-hmm. But Cuban sofrito is slightly different. Yeah. Yeah. And sofrito is it's a good, good point. Sofrito can it's, it's pretty much um, it's like lightly fried. It's, yeah. it's what it stands for, really. And yes, it mm. could be any vegetable, really. But the way that sofrito is made, sofrito is really the base of all, well, pretty much all dishes. I will make a sofrito for everything. Um, and then the opposite end is that, for example, my mom, and she still does it to the day, is that she'll have leftover vegetables in the in the fridge that she doesn't need. Mm. And she'll chop them all up, including onions and garlic. You always generally you always have white onion and garlic. Mm. Always. That's usually the base. 
It doesn't have to be, but it's usually the base. And then you add the, the bell peppers in there. You might add chilies if you wanted to, although um, Cuban food is not necessarily spicy, but you can add that. And so basically my mom always taught us that you make these, these sofritos so easy to make. I see them in the shop. I'm like, why would you buy them? Like you can make them yourself. Yeah. And they're so much fun to make as well because you're chopping lots of stuff. You're chucking it all in and you're just gently frying them. And then you put them in a jar with a bit of olive oil to yeah. kind of preserve. And all you do is whenever you're making anything that you want, chicken, even a soup, you just grab a little spoonful, mm, you drop yeah. it in and it just gives it this burst of flavor. Yeah. It's almost like um, like a chicken a cube. Yeah, um, like a boost, yeah. sort of yeah. flavor boost. Exactly. And, you, and, and you've, um, you've removed the need for that first sort of 20 minutes of frying and chopping. It's all there. Exactly. It's all done for you. So exactly. Got, it's like a gateway to, to any dish. Absolutely. And my mom even freezes them in like, um, little, uh, ice cube uh, Brilliant trays. Yeah. She'll put them in there and then she'll just pop one out, put it in the, in the, yeah. you know, and she'll make, it's, it's hilarious. Like I'll go to my mom's house and I'll open the fridge and she'll have jars of it with names of my, my sisters and my brothers. So she actually makes it for us. And I find that <laughs> It's, we laugh about it, but actually it's the sweetest thing. Like my yeah. mom still makes batches for us, like this traditional thing. And I think she just does it like naturally, but um, yeah, it's really sweet. And I, I think that's something that we could do here. Like it's something that we could all be doing. You know, you chop up a bunch of vegetables, you put them together, you add your little specialness to it yeah. and you put them in little jars and then you keep them in there and yeah. then you give them to friends or family, you know, and you use it to cook. And how special is that? You know? Yeah. So yeah. Love that idea. Yeah. Um, the next one you're going to talk about, and I love this, is that um, a lot of Cuban dishes have got a backstory to yes, them. Yes, yes. Um, and you mentioned a few. So uh, we've already talked about Roja Vieja. Yeah, yeah. Um, which means, I think you said old clothes. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about so, that. So Ropa Vieja is, um, Ropa is clothes and yeah. Vieja is old. So it's old clothes. So the, the sort of the fantastical story that I was told when I was little is that it was an old man who had nothing. He only had some ripped clothes. He put them in, in you know, to boil his old clothes to yeah. eat because he had nothing else to eat. And he threw in some potatoes or whatever. And um, he imagined that it was beef and it turned into beef, you yeah. know, this magical story. Um, but actually the real story is uh, Ropa Vieja actually originates from the Canaries. And the Canaries um, originally really where, where it does come from is that you boil um, meats and bones and things like that to create these amazing thick broths and healthy broths. And so while making this broth, the beef sort of kind of falls apart and it kind of shreds itself. And so that's the the sort of the mm. meaning of the ropa viha, the old yeah. clothes. Yeah. And I think we've actually got, because you wrote a recipe for us for, yes. for that last year. So that is actually on olivemagazine.com if anyone wants to make some old clothes um and then other ones we've got um elena roos yeah uh, elena roos is 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 one of my favorite stories yeah. I and mean, it's just a simple um uh, sandwich but elena roos was like a socialite in cuba this imagine 19 sort of 40s 50s cuba yeah. glamorous cuba in those days mm. and um she was a socialite and she would go after clubbing and partying um she would go to this this restaurant i think it's called el camino um where she used to uh, frequent and she used to order a specific sandwich yeah her name was elena roos and it was a like a brioche we called it medianoche bread and yeah. medianoche means uh, midnight bread but it's like a sweet, sweet it's a bread. sweet bread yeah. i i think it's the closest here is brioche. brioche um and if anyone can tell me different i, I would love to know because <laughs> but that's the closest i can find and um thinly sliced turkey with cream cheese 
Wow. And strawberry jam. Oh, okay. I know. And then, but then <laughs> you then like, you press it, you yeah. press it down, like, you know, to, to heat it up. So like on a, on a plancher yeah, type thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, and that's what she would have. And so she would order it all the time. And the story goes that she told the waiter, can you just put it in the menu? So I just have to order the, yeah, the, just, the sandwich. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, the, the story is that she then came in one day and there was a neon sign saying, come here for the Elena Rus. Cause obviously oh, she was well known. Yeah. 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 And so now people all order the Elena Ruth and they can go to Miami and mm. Miami will will have the Elena Ruth. We were trying to keep those little traditions, these yeah. little stories that just give so much more to just a standard sandwich. Yeah, you yeah. Know? I love that. So yeah. was it kind of like drinking food, do you think? Sort of I something so. to have. Yeah, yeah. It must have been. It must have been like a kebab for her. <laughs> I love that. After a club, she was like, I need to have that, you know, turkey with strawberry marmalade. Yeah. I mean, seriously. <laughs> and then what about El El Presidente, what's that? Yeah, so El Presidente is a, is a cocktail. And oh, so again, okay. you know, it's nice because we, we can talk about food and cocktails. Co I mean, yeah. Cocktails are a big a big thing for us. Mm. Um, with with Kuka, um, cocktails was interesting because I grew up not necessarily seeing drinking around me. Right. My parents did, and I remember always seeing these really old school, like the maraschino liqueur bottles, mm. um, all these really old school bottles in my parents' house, but I never saw them actually drinking. And I think my parents were just very private about that and they would have their parties but not around the kids so i found that really interesting so for me doing kuka it's almost like do i need and i was like of course i need to have cocktails i love cocktails <laughs> so i've started talking to my parents and funnily enough they happen to know every single cuban cocktail <laughs> on uh, that that's that's existed and so the el presidente is one of those yeah. what's good about the el presidente is um it was created in the early 1900s okay. um by a, uh, one of the president uh, the president of the i think it was 1913 to 1921 right. his name was Mario Garcia Menocal. Um, and he obviously loved this um, this drink. And mm. so they made it for him and they named it El Presidente, uh, which is the president. Yeah. And so it's made of white rum, orange curacao, French dry vermouth, and grenadine. Um, it's kind of, I call it kind of like a Negroni. It's, if, you th if you've had a Negroni and yeah. you've tasted it, it's very similar to a Negroni. And I like serving it because it's a nice sort of change to the mm. sweet um daiquiris that we do yeah a lot of our drinks are quite sweet because um they just naturally have that simple sh uh, syrup that you normally have and rums like coconut rums and things like that could be quite sweet yeah so uh the el presidente yeah it, it comes from that that's from that uh, that era yeah yeah I know. well let, let's talk about the importance of rum because that's on your list it wasn't next but let's mm. let's slide it in there because mm. that's a good segue um and you said rum is the, the base of all cuban cocktails and you've got white dark golden mm. coconut um, tell us a bit about rum and its and its sort of importance in in the culture. Oh, where can I start with rum? I do you know, I didn't like rum uh, for a long time. Traitor. Yeah, yeah, no, totally, totally. But a Cuban friend of mine yeah. that lives here, he drinks rum. All, I mean, he's obsessed with rum. Right. And so I was like, okay, I need to, I need to start, you know, figuring out this rum oh, thing. Yeah, yeah. And so I started drinking and I was like, okay, this is, you know, this isn't just a, a drink. I need to, I started learning a lot about it. Yeah. My dad, funnily enough, started telling me a lot about rum during the prohibition in the 1920s to thirties. Yeah. I think it was a 13 year prohibition. A lot of people in the U S were going to Cuba to drink. And so rum, obviously, um, oh. Sugarcane being their biggest yeah, export yeah, makes course. rum, Natural. so it became a huge thing. So people were coming from the states to to drink uh, to drink all the time, mm. and so rum became a, a big deal in the in in Cuba, um, also in Puerto Rico. So one thing that I that I do and try to 
to encourage people to understand is where does the, the rum that you drink comes from? Right. Um, here, Havana Club is a big, big deal. And although I don't necessarily get political about stuff, Havana Club com- is, is still manufactured in Cuba. The money still goes directly to the Cuban oh. government. So I try and use Puerto Rican rum. Right. And so Puerto Rican rum, uh, like Bacardi. Bacardi has become, you know, it, people th- hear Bacardi and they think, oh, it's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's like a supermarket style mm. rum. But, you know, it's understanding. And this is, again, back to the whole thing about the story. Yeah. It's where did it come from? Where does this story come from? Bacardi originated in Cuba. But, of course, in the revolution, they, everything was taken away. And Bacardi's like, we're moving. And they left and they m- went to Puerto Rico. And so they're now based in Puerto Rico. And so you get uh, my favorite is is coconut. I mean, coconut rum is the best. And Bacardi make a very good one, by the way. And I'm not being sponsored by by, by Bacardi at all. Um, But it's it's look into your rums, find out where that rum comes from and really understand what you're drinking and where its base is from. Yeah. Another interesting thing is you said um, uh, plant plantain or plantain. I'm not mm, quite sure yes. how to pronounce it. How do you pronounce it? Yeah, uh, plantains. Plantains, plantains yeah. or platanos. Yeah. Plant- massive in Cuba, mm. like used in lots of different ways. Tell, yeah. tell us about that then. Yeah. Uh, oh God, plantains are literally, I saw them in my parents' table every day. My, yeah. my dad had plantain trees in the garden. So this is a norm for us. A uh, huge Caribbean um, food uh, that we use. Yeah. Um, and I remember when I started making them here, I use, I, I make these little plantain chips yeah, or crisps. We call them mariquitas in mariquitas, Miami. Mariquitas, right, yeah. Yeah. Um, when I started making them here, I think a lot of the Caribbean community were like, yes, we, we know, we know them. We use yeah. this. So we, we make it. But not many other people use them. And no, made we them. don't. No. And, and plantains, you know, I'm starting to see them a lot more now. Yeah. Um, but they're amazing. They're really good for you. And you can make them in a thousand ways. Of course, we know them as fried and fried means not healthy. However, yes, you can fry them, but you can also boil them and mash them like you do with um, sweet potato and like mashed potato. And they taste delicious. You can make them sweet. You can have um, different types of mariquitas. So you can have the long mariquitas. You could have what we call arañitas, which are called little spiders. So you basically get the the plantain and Mm. you you put it through the... Um, so like the potato crusher oh, okay. yeah, yeah and they, it comes out with little tiny slices and you grab them in little bunches and you fry them and wow. they come out like little spiders and I remember eating those as a kid and you know there's completely different ways you can make them sweet as well mm. so if you let them ripen and they go from a green plantain into yeah. a more yellowy spotty one yeah. the, the spottier they are the sweeter they are um, you slice them and then you f- uh, deep fry them for a little bit and they, they're this sweet but savory also yeah um, uh, I guess like, uh, yeah, like a slice of plantain, I suppose. And then you can also make, which we do a lot, is uh, uh, tostones. And tostones are, you you get the the plantain, you cut them in little sort of cubes, and then you fry those little cubes a little bit, and then you flatten them with a a dish. I mean, we have a a plantain crusher, um, but you can do it with a plate. I mean, I've I've gone now to plates now because it's just, uh, you you, you can make them a little bit bigger. And then you fry that and they're crunchy and with a bit of salt on top. And honestly, they taste amazing. Um, And then on top of that, then you can serve ropa vieja or you could put chicken or you could put, you know, all sorts of things. So, you know, with one green plantain, you can do so many things. And it goes back to that idea that my mom could make a, a different dish every day with the same, with the same, with the same item. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So, so versatile as yeah. well. Um, another interesting thing um, 
that you that you said is Cuban food is often thought of spicy, but it's not spicy at all. No. And it's not a thing in Cuban food to use. No, do you know, it's funny. I, I didn't grow up, certainly didn't grow up eating spicy food. I think I remember growing up and when I when I had spicy food, it was Mexican food. Right. Yeah. So South American definitely has spicy food, but yeah. Cuban specifically, um, we didn't necessarily use spice, like as in uh, chilies or anything like that. Yeah. Um, not sure if it was because they were probably not native or we just never used them. Yeah. And so... I, I like a little bit of spiciness, a little bit of a kick. Mm. So occasionally I'll add a little bit of chilies into my things just to give it a little bit of yeah. an oomph. But my mom to the day tells me, you don't need a bit of an oomph because yeah. it has plenty of, of spices that you should be using, like uh, cumin. Cumin and, is used, yeah. Yeah, and there's a, pimie, a pimenton, which yeah. is like a sweet um, pepper. Like pepper, yeah. Powder. Sort of powdered, yeah. Kind of like yeah. paprika, but paprika is a little bit not, not as sweet. You're right, yeah. And it gives it this flavor that you're like, wow. Um, when I make ropa vieja, um, the reason it's so special, and I do recommend everybody to make it, is that you're doing it in layers. So when you make the ropa vieja, you're adding the onions, then the garlic, and then you start adding the pimenton. And the pimenton releases this almost like a, I, I think I'm underselling it by saying a barbecue smell. Right. Okay. But it's a sweet sort of. Oh, it just fills it, the house. It's delicious. Smoky as well? Yeah, smoky. Like that's smoke, the word. So like a smoked paprika yeah. scenario. And it yeah. releases that. And suddenly you're adding all these all these things and you're letting that cook. You're not adding any meat yet. You're not adding any of that. Yeah. You're just letting these spices sort mm. of simmer away. And you know, talking to Indian friends of mine, they're like, you know, that's very similar to Indian yeah, just food. That's what we do. Building layers yeah. and layers of flavor, exactly. Yeah. And just letting the spices speak for themselves. Yeah. And finally, we're going to talk about one of the most common sauces used in Cuban cuisine, which is mojo. Um, and it actually comes, or it, its history sort of comes from the Canary Islands again. Yeah. Yeah, mojo, funnily enough, going back a little bit more, mojo can be, mo you know, you, you were related to the word mojo. Mm. And mojo is actually like a little bag in like, I think African religious culture. Oh, okay, mojo yeah. is like a little bag of of little mysterious magic in yeah, there. Like your and, mojo. Yeah. And it's yeah. like a prayer in a bag. It's yeah. known as. And it's funny because I don't know if the two relate, but for me, mojo is made up of these little ingredients. Yeah. And it makes this kick-ass, really good sauce. And mojo comes in different forms, which I'll talk about. But I, I always find it funny that, you know, mojo is this little bag of, yeah. you know, little magic. And suddenly mojo is, is that. So... Yeah, mojo originates from the Canary Islands. Um, if you go there, you have the green mojo, which is made of green bell pepper, yeah. and red mojo, which is the red bell pepper. And so it kind of made its way through. And the mojo that I know and the one that I, that I talk about a lot is, um, and mojo can be lots of different things. Um, we make a mojo that is, um, mojo is two things for me. So one is when my mom used to say, can, can you make a mojo? It was, it was to marinate. It was a marinade, really, for the beef. Right. So it's something that in the UK I'm, I'm, I'm getting used to. People don't don't marinate their beef here, which I kind of like. You know, people put the beef in and they're like, cook it and you get the flavor, the real beef flavor, mm. right? I'm used to marinating that beef to give it that other little thing, right? Yeah. And so I kind of like both. And so for the beef that I make, like ropa vieja, I get the, the, the skirt steak and I make a mojo. And the mojo, basically what I do the night before. So beef, you can do the night before. Chicken and and especially fish, you kind of don't want to do it too far in because it kind of um, almost cooks, cooks the, the yeah. yeah, but beef, you do want it to especially skirt steak because skirt steak can be a bit tough oh, yeah. and you want it to be really soft so you can pull it apart for the ropa vieja. And so the night before what I do is I take that skirt steak and I put it in a Ziploc bag, simple, mm. or you could put it in a canister. And then the, you make the mojo and the mojo is really made up of 
well, my dad's mojo, it's with lots of other little ingredients, but basically it's orange juice or pineapple juice, usually fresh. And then you can add um, garlic, you add onion, you add lots of like uh, powders. So there's a, a, a mix that my dad makes with lots of um, um, herbs and spices yeah. and you leave it marinating all night. So that's, mm -hmm. that's a mojo where you marinate and you use those juices to actually cook um the the beef the next day okay and I, I mean it's delicious like when i made one with with orange juice like fresh orange juice i do you know there was there was a flavor orange in it and yeah. it, you don't get it immediately it's not harsh but you do get a little afterthought of orange i was like that's actually quite nice, yeah, and orange. nice. yeah and if you and my, my dad always used used uh pineapple juice yeah and it gave this like little sweetness, sweetness like this little kick and it was great he uses that one for chicken the pineapple and then orange more for for beef um, the mojo that I make that you can eat, you know, immediately is yeah. is um, basically garlic, crushed garlic, um, salt, so rock salt, um, olive oil, and lemon juice. And so you mix it all up, and it creates this, like, drizzle that you could use on your salad, mm. or you could use, we, we use it for the mariquitas, which are the plant, the oh, long planting. chip things, yeah. And you know what? Like, I serve that, and it looks very simple, but people are, it's almost like, <laughs> like, crack like people are like i need more of that yeah where can i get more of that Amazing. um yeah and it's just i don't know what it is i think it's that mix and we all love that you know that sharpness of the lemon yeah. and then you got the all all over the garlic and the salt yeah. that mixture is magic and it just creates this flavor and so for me mojo is that that's the first thing that comes to my mind with yeah. mojo. but of course there's a little bit of a history as everything does um and what we do um has so thank you for bringing that up about the canary yeah. islands because that that is fascinating and you've and you've obviously like cracked the the perfect balance if mm. it's driving people crazy i love yeah. that and um and as always i'm completely starving now and i want to yes. go off and eat some food <laughs> but um I think we've come to the end. So th thank you so much for coming to chat to us, Lewis. It's been absolutely fascinating. And as always, I've learned so much. Um, and I know that you are planning a few more supper clubs. So if people want to keep in touch with what you're doing, is Instagram the best place? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you go to at Cocina uh, Kuka on Instagram, um, or you can email us at the Kuka gmail.com. But um, yeah, you can see a lot of our posts on, on Instagram um, at Cocina Kuka. Um, I try and talk a little bit about the history of the food, yeah. um, about my family, about the yeah. foods that we're doing. And yes, we do dates as well on what we're, what's coming up. Um, so, but thank you for having me here. Talking about Cuban food for me is so special. And um, I love the idea of uh, people in London just hearing about it. So, Great. or in the UK. Thank you. No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Olive Podcast. For recipes and more information, head to olivemagazine.com. Do remember to listen out for our effortless bonus episodes where our guests reveal their best cooking cheats, hacks and shortcuts. And don't forget to subscribe at iTunes, Acast, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>